everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 310 being recorded on July 23rd, 2014. I'm Ryan Shrell. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And I'm Alan Malventano. Uh, and uh, we're back from QuakeCon. Uh, it, was a, it was a long drive back. Yes. We made it. Uh, we had Whataburger. We did a workshop. Uh-huh. I think everything everything went swimmingly. Before we move on, I want a uh, quick reminder here. We record this live on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, pretty much at that time, at pcper.com slash live. If you want to join us, you can do so by going to pcper.com slash subscribe, maybe. There we go. Uh, and... Sign up for this little uh, form here. All we need is your name and your email address, and uh, we send you a little notice uh, about, hey, we're getting ready to go live. Make sure you join. Uh, come over and join us. We have some other events coming up planned as well uh, with some outside entities, if you will, um, and that should, be, that should be fun. So you want to sign up for those because most of the time when we're doing other things, we also tend to give stuff away. And if you're looking over here at Alan and why he's um, distractedly typing away, he's apparently updating a story that he published like 60 seconds before – the podcast. podcast went live, so we had to update all of our rundowns and our docs and everything. So I just had to add a wrench. That's all. It's all his fault. I got to be difficult. Uh, like I mentioned last week, we were at uh, Dallas in Dallas for the PC Perspective Hardware Workshop at QuakeCon 2014. To anybody that was out there and joined us, thank you so much. We had pretty much a full house there, and just a little couple of empty spots in the back. Uh, we gave away. Tens of thousands of dollars worth of hardware. Uh, one of the packages that Tom from NVIDIA gave away included a GeForce GTX Titan Z, um, which Big is, money. is a $3,000 video card. Regardless of what you think about it, it is still a $3,000 video card. Along it didn't with, kill the guy they threw it at? Along with a 1,300-watt uh, power supply and uh, mouse and headset and stuff like this was all one package one person won all of this stuff it was uh, it was pretty impressive uh, you can see if there's a, if you missed it and you want to watch it you can see there's a video on our website that shows uh, basically the whole thing from front to back and uh, we also had a, a PC building contest where there were four people got up on stage and attempted to build two PCs and the winner got to keep their PC and I think we need to have some better ground rules next time well because mounting your motherboard in a case does not mean just putting your case on its side and then throwing the motherboard in there thereby yeah. shorting out the traces on the back on the posts but nobody did thing. that nobody ended up doing that well, he did, but it didn't fry it. Oh, that's it why it kept boot. not booting. Yeah, boot. uh, okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you get into like, do we want do are they required to put all of the screws in the motherboard? Do you want to only say you have to have at least like two or three in the motherboard? Um, you know, maybe we create like a sheet that we hand to each person when they come up, and then once their screen comes up, we have to check it against a checklist or something. Uh, I'm pretty sure I won the system build contest. You Ken did. says he won. He had to put together the other the other system. I think he put together both systems, and it worked you? with wire management. Well, just, he, just, just, he, he did a nice yeah. job on his, but I I kind of cleaned up the other one. Yeah, you know, like actually mounted it so stuff won't fall off. Yeah, yeah when they carry it sounds like like, screw, like attached the motherboard to the yeah. case. <laughs> yes, yeah. Step one. Oh, look, guys, this is the spot. Oh, I missed it. Uh, Maury, where uh, uh, a nice woman won a case in PowerSpine stuff, and Maury carried it to her seat for it. Maury, Maury hobbled. Hobbled over there. With over there yeah. with his. Yeah. Yeah. Here's Tom giving away the, the GTX uh, Titan Z. Or at least attempted. He had an awful hard time putting that in the bag. He which... sure did. 
that shows you that what a two and a half slot cooler is really like to work to work with in a. Uh, uh, poor Tracy. Poor Tracy. I, I think, I think we should no hot dog. We should have given like <laughs> we should have given Maury an award for the most effort put into a QuakeCon. Yeah, Maury. I mean, if you last week's podcast, we talked about the processor issues, and then he had a CPU issue. A CPU die cracked. Yeah, and then his and when, then he, when his, he went to replace it, the motherboard had a bent pin. Yeah. Which, so dis- which then the mother- fell and out. the pin disappeared or fell out or something when he tried to bend it back straight. It just was gone. So he lost the pin. They're, f- they're fragile. They're fragile. Ding. For sure. Yeah. Just ding. And then, and then he and then he destroyed the inner part of his leg on a handicapped ramp. Yeah, he fell on a handicapped ramp and he came. I mean, how ironic <laughs> is that? It's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. But he's uh, apparently doing much better now. He's uh, much I'm happier. Sure he'll be on the, we've been talking with him all day. He's, he seems to be. Although he did go out for his birthday today. Happy birthday, Maury! Uh, and apparently, the lights at the steak restaurant he was at, like the electric, went out. The power went out in the restaurant. While he's in there. And so they waited for the power to come back out. So hopefully his meal turned out okay uh, as well. So. Like you can ever get a bad meal at a Brazilian steakhouse that cooks with gas. I don't know, but if they can't see how much they're cooking the meat with light. Well, and they also, the rotisseries are electric, so. Yeah, so we have one side super charred and one side super raw. Yeah. And so, you can't see which is which. So don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Um, so check that out. If you want to find that, if you go to pcper.com slash workshop, you can see the video that we have uh, from the uh, uh, event as well as the list of our sponsors and our prizes and all the stuff you missed out on. So make sure you plan for next year to be there because it will be the 20th anniversary of QuakeCon, by the way, next year. Um, so next year, can, uh, can, can we potentially do, you know, like a little – two or three or four minute presentation like individually of stuff that interests you? us no like you yeah <laughs> we'd have I to like talk to feel about, important at quick we'd have too. to talk about this getting you up in front of state i mean i know how you act when we put you in front of the audience here right so you did say five minutes right <laughs> five minutes is a long time actually it's a long time doing presentation i'm not gonna bring the hitachi whatever magic wand. to it magic wand? yeah, yeah. No, they that will not be, your, be. That won't be your case mod. The PC perspective, <laughs> magic wand workshop. The Hitachi magic wand. You know what? I, I'm going to petition case for the QuakeCon guys to get more time anyway. So maybe that's something we can talk about. We do need okay. like another hour. Yeah, maybe a half hour. We we can, or we need to break up the giveaways yeah. and do some stuff. Like they offered us a booth this year that we didn't take. Maybe we do something with that and do some of the giveaways there as well. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, now that's that's in the past. Now it's time to talk about. Other things that happened in the past but are more current. Uh, we're going to start with a uh, tablet review from a company called Xiaomi. This is the Xiaomi MyPad 7.9. This is a Tegra K1-based tablet. And that's really what makes it stand out, right? So this is a Chinese-built tablet. It is uh, imported from – like we imported it directly from China um, – it is a 7.9-inch screen. It's a 2048 by 1536-inch or 2048 by 1536 resolution panel. Um, it's actually a really nice device. Like, it looks high-end. It, yeah. it, it feels like that. Even Ken was commenting, and he's an Apple snob, but he was even commenting, like, this feels like a high-end piece of equipment. It, it feels like an iPad mini in a, like, iPhone 5C, 5C shell. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I, that really high-grade plastic. I no. find it too slippery. Like it would yeah. be easy to drop or something. I don't know if the 5C is like that. I think but the 5C it has a very, is like a rubbery. It has one. a very like tight 
kind of fit and finish to it. It does. It feels good. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, but you know what the CEO wears at these unveilings? I don't. A black T-shirt and blue jeans. Oh, you know what? I did see that. Uh, one more thing. And he does have – and he has a one more like thing He always slide. has a one more thing. That's pretty awesome. Like it – that's funny as hell. Uh, but anyway, so it, this is, it, actually the specifications wise, this is almost exactly an iPad uh, mini. mini Retina. Yep. But with a Tegra K1 SoC instead of an Apple A7 SoC. Mm-hmm. Same resolution, similar battery size. Um, I don't know. It looks like that. Uh, but this has this has significant GPU horsepower. Um, this is the Tegra K1, so it's got a four plus one processor. But then it's got it's the first. Uh, SOC to have the Kepler SMX unit in it, right? So it's 192 CUDA cores. And if you look at, uh, if let me switch over here to GPU performance slides, um, you can see like here, here's 3D Mark Ice Storm Unlimited. And if you look at that blue line, that represents graphics performance. Like it blows everything away. The Apple A7, uh, you've got the Atom Z3745, which is Bay Trail based part. You've got the Tegra 4 down here. Uh, if you look at these other graphics tests, like it's way ahead in a lot of these results, right? And, it's like uh, multiples. Yeah, it's there's, like not percentages, it's multiples. Right, like so, but there's, there's interesting, like you get this alpha blend, which is texturing performance, and it's actually slower than uh, the A7 and the S4, but then you look at like the ALU, which is theoretical, like compute capability, yeah. like max compute capability, it is three times the next biggest competitor there. Fill rate yeah. way ahead. Driver overhead is an interesting look as well. Uh, CPU results are going to be much similar, like pretty much the same as the Tegra K4, uh, or I'm sorry, the Tegra 4 part because it's basically the same SO, the same processor. It's going from 1.9 to 2.2 gigahertz, I think. So you'll see, you know, slight performance improvements here. Uh, and depending on the benchmark, uh, it will usually beat the other tablets in the testing. You know, like here, Sun Spider, the A- A7 is a little bit faster than the K1. But all of these are browser dependent, software dependent. Um, so there's there's and a lot that of A7 is 64 bit too. So yeah, it does get some advantages from that. This is kind of like the cool demo that they have. Remember that uh, you may have seen like the Nvidia FaceWorks demo. Um, it's kind of hard to see here, but if you go watch our video review, you can see it up close. Right, this is a, a rendered face, and it's really, really, really impressive looking. You could probably even um, tell on the stream just how smooth that is. I mean, that's going yeah, at least the frame rate of the stream. Zoom on that guy's so. nose and face. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I paid three hundred and forty-four dollars for this, imported from China. Way cheaper than an iPad Retina. Uh, yeah. Just saying. Is it? And I guess it is. Uh, I paid uh, like twenty-two dollars for shipping, as well. But again, yeah. direct from China, and actually showed up. That ain't quick. bad. Yeah. Um, and it had some Mandarin it settings. Does, it has um, Android four point <laughs> four point two, but it doesn't have like the native stock. Uh, uh, launcher on it, which is a little bit disappointing, right? You're, you're going to have to, if you, if you import one of these, you're going to have to deal with um, uh, a lot of like, I don't know, weird bundled software, right? You can still have access to the Play Store, at least I do on mine, and according to NVIDIA, like imported ones shouldn't have access to the Google Play Store, but I definitely do, so I was able to download <laughs> anything I wanted to. Yeah, and Ken says you can sideload um, uh, the Google Play Store on it. So it's it's an interesting device, and it was a good demonstration piece because of it being the first tablet really based on Tegra K1. Uh, battery life performance was okay. We got about nine hours of Wi-Fi testing on it, which is which is pretty good. Um, the only downside to that is that it's using a 6,700 milliamp hour battery, uh, and, and so its efficiency is 
not the best, right? So when you look at this calculated power consumption graph, um, you know, if you look at the raw battery battery life, right, like the Nexus 7, the 2013 version is getting 11 and a half hours, and it's also doing it on a much smaller battery, right? So if you look at that and you kind of calculate power consumption based on that, and you got to keep in mind this is not just SOC, it's memory, it's display, it's it's a bunch of other stuff at work, uh, but if you look at it as a unit as a whole, you know, the, the Tegra K1 is using a lot more power uh, than the, the Tegra Note 7 or the Asus Mimo 7 or even the Asus Nexus 7 there. So Yeah, but scroll back up to time. Yep. It's, yeah, it's it's more expensive, you know, larger, more expensive battery, but they don't charge you an arm and a leg for it. Yeah. And you still get that amount of time yeah, plus that no kind of graphics performance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And just in terms of, like, technologically, what I'm talking about is, you know, it's it's, if somebody sells a tablet with a smaller battery in it it's not going to live up to uh what's expectations other qualcomm or uh yeah. intel socs are actually going to be able to do and that's what's important to note right is um this will probably have to come with a battery of this size in order to stay competent in other areas right uh we'll talk about i don't know if that's the next story or not oh it is according to our rundown uh the next story we'll talk about the shield tablet so you know the, like, my conclusion on this is really um don't buy this. It was more of an interesting experiment for us to kind of get that first one in and play with it and test it and, and see kind of how it performed. But as it turns out, uh, our good friends at NVIDIA are really preparing a, a tablet based on this same SOC that's more relevant and is going to be more easily accessible for U.S.-based or most other people, I guess, in the world that do not live in China. And that is the NVIDIA you Shield know what? tablet. Do, do you know what? really does not blow about all this no uh well quite a few things but go ahead um so we've got a new big player in china and competition is good and they will certainly push other guys to match price and performance of what they have here i hope so you know i this company i don't think will ever sell in the u.s Right, like I don't, I don't really think they will, I, I, because if you look at, like Google doesn't want them to have the Play Store on here, and I'm, you know, it's it's because of region restrictions and everything. Could they sell over here? I guess they, I guess they could. Huawei does, Huawei does yeah, I guess. I, I would love to yeah, see. I this. was going to say Huawei is another player that is huge there and barely makes any inroads here, and usually it's either a purchase like you did, or mm-hmm. somebody originally from there who's emigrated that's looking for something familiar. Yeah. I don't know that they're going to get a foothold. It would be interesting to see them make a version, you know, built for the U.S. that doesn't have, uh, you know, some of the, the, the Chinese language stuff on it. Uh, doesn't have some of those built-in applications and those other Play stores. Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, right? You know, will, would they get into more issues because it looks so much like an iPad Mini Retina if they're selling it in the U.S. at Best Buy? I think it looks different enough. Would oh, it's they... not like Apple sues over rounded corners or anything. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's got rounded corners. Like It does. Oh, no. The Samsung lawsuit points, they would be sued. Yeah. So with, with that, for them, with it's that easier UI. to get away with it in China, for sure, <laughs> than it would be to get away with it here. But I, but I would love the idea of having having competition. And, and you know, Nvidia was was glad to have this tablet built as well, right? They made a launch video for it and everything. They came out as the first tablet based on K1. Um, you know, they, second. Yeah, well, 
No, it was the first. <laughs> no, no, this was. They, yeah. they made a video for this. Oh, for that. Yeah, they made okay. a video for this, and that's how we kind of found out about it. And then, and so did you. And yeah. Ryan and Ryan was like the first guy in the briefing room to have one. Yeah, like I, when I showed up to the NVIDIA briefing room for the Shield tablet, <laughs> like, oh, I've never seen one of those, actually. Like, Here, let me show you. Here, I got one. Um, so speaking of which, NVIDIA did announce on Tuesday the Shield tablet. Uh, this is an upgrade to the Tegra Note 7, only this is a 7.9-inch screen, 19 by 12 resolution display uh, that is featuring the same Tegra K1 processor. Um, now, it's got the Shield brand, which is interesting because it is no longer a controller display in one device. The Shield tablet is just that. It is a tablet by itself. Um, you'll be able to buy it for $299 for uh, the 60, 16 gig capacity Wi-Fi only or $399 for the 32 gig capacity with LTE. Uh, and then you can see here there's a controller. Right, so the there's a now there's a Shield controller, and it looks very very similar to the Shield controller that was in the original Shield, now called the Shield Portable. Um, it has some tweaks to it. Uh, it has let's see if we have another picture of it. I think we do down here. Um, Is that like a Bluetooth? It's Wi-Fi Direct. Oh, so it's not using Bluetooth. It's using Wi-Fi Direct, which they claim improves latency, cuts it in half. It improves bandwidth um, by wow. several times, and that's what allows them to now, like, you can be able to plug a, a, an audio headset into the controller, oh, like cool. you can an Xbox controller yeah. or a PlayStation controller, and run your audio to and it. And it goes through walls, and it goes which is walls. very important it for does. people playing somewhere. That's well, house. yeah. If you got it hidden behind your TV or something, right? Because you could buy yeah. one of these. And well, can you use that same controller really with like the other, you know, like the GPU and your PC and stuff like I that too? I don't know the answer to that. So it's oh. Wi-Fi Direct. So I don't know what you'd have to have in your laptop to support it. I don't know if you'd have to have a separate external dongle. No, I mean like what? I mean like the other like because you had the old, well, the original Shield, mm-hmm. which could play games off of your PC. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You right, can still so, do game streaming with this. Right, so could you have, like, use that controller with, like, this tablet hooked up to your TV? Yeah, you can oh. absolutely do that. Yeah, yeah. So, so it all does that stuff. Yeah, okay. so the, the tablet, so it, it's basically the exact same idea as the Shield was originally, but now you've detached the display from the controller. Yeah. Right, and so you can uh, leave the tablet up by your TV, hook it up to your TV, and do... Um, uh, and well, then just use use that here. just dumber version of the controller. Yeah, well, the controller it has some pretty cool features. Actually, I think if you look at the, yeah. the diagram of it, like it's got it's got uh, all these buttons are capacitive up here. It's got a microphone built in, so you can do like uh, Google Now searches and stuff through the controller. Or right? you can tell somebody that you know you slept with their mother. You could do that, right? So are those even improvements on the original Shield? Yes. Like it didn't have a microphone? Uh, the original Shield did have a microphone. But that's, mm. I mean, the display and everything was all there. So you right, would right, expect right. that. So you, and you would expect there to be a microphone on the tablet. But now there's a microphone on the controller. So like if, if, you know, if you're using this in your living room, you have the tablet up there next to your TV plugged in the HDMI yeah. port. You have this controller. You can still like, you know, launch applications like... You know, okay, Google, open Netflix, or you could say, you know, or you can just select it with like a right. Or you yeah. can do it the other way, yeah. right? This part down here at the bottom is a touchpad. I'm not sure how useful that's going to be yet, um, but it's down there, and you've got like your volume control buttons as well. These are huh. these are capacitive. It looks like a high end controller. It feels really good. It feels, you know, as good or better than the original Shield controller did. Yeah, um, wouldn't be as heavy. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be lighter. Yeah. 
they've done a, they've done a good job of integrating the software with it, right? So uh, you could get battery levels of the controller on the in the ta- in the uh, notifications bar at the top of the tablet. Oh, cool! Uh, the tablet has a really well like the what do they call it now? The Shield Experience application will have a ten foot interface, mm-hmm. right? So that it's built for you to to use it while you're sitting on the couch. Right. Right. Uh, it has the ability to mirror or um, not mirror the display, right, when it's plugged in. So because the display is 19 by 12 instead of 19 by 10, if you mirror it, you're going to have letterboxing on the TV. Sure. So you disable that the internal display and it will just do 19 by 10 yeah. output Native there. resolution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so here, I mean, you're turning the tablet into a console. You can actually connect up to four controllers to the tablet. Um, you can connect over HDMI to the big screen. Uh, and then you can run things like Netflix. And actually, they support 1080p Netflix. Can you also use this it. as just like, so you have that controller. Mm-hmm. Now you want to just go sit at your PC and play a game. Like, can you, will that also double as like you're just playing the game with that controller on you your PC? You want to play that Use that controller on a PC? Yeah, like I want to take it in my room with my PC um, in it, and I just you, want to... You, I think you can connect it through USB. Oh, okay. Right, because it is Wi-Fi direct, and it's it's not Bluetooth or, or anything like that. Yeah, so I just didn't know to, if, It had to be wired. Because I know you can play a game through the PC, and mm-hmm. like I just didn't know if there was a, you know... Yeah, you can still do game stream on it, right? So you can still stream your PC games to the Shield tablet, Yeah. right? And then put that to the TV or play it on the Shield the tablet device itself. I would, I would say you probably need a good router. Uh, I think you have to have a. You don't have to have that. Like great I think of you a should router. have some at least five gigahertz. Like I think enabled. they recommend five, but they'll they'll, yeah. they'll operate with two point four. The other uh, new thing that they're adding to this apparently is streaming to Twitch. Right. So. Oh, that's cool. Game streaming, like the you know, game stream on the PC, is, is a thing. Right. Yeah. So now. Yeah, so, Shadow Play. Yeah, yeah you're that. using Shadow Play on it, and it actually uses the front-facing camera on the tablet to like if you choose to overlay your face on yeah. the gameplay hmm. right and so they actually say this will work with all the android games uh all of the you could do it with game while you're game streaming right so right. you could you could stream oh. games from your pc to the tablet and then send it out to twitch from the tablet and they actually said with, that would be easier with than also anything camera else. audio or camera right. video from because wow. it's there it's so the tablet's only getting an h264 stream already so it's just basically repeating it back up to I, twitch I, i'm sorry like I, I don't like do we ever expect that to actually work i don't know it's, do it's, it on if you're hooking it up to your tv that way oh man i don't know that sounds Someone like might a do it. also what's interesting is awesome, that you can technically but... you can stream anything like it doesn't have to be a game like yeah. it's just a widget that you enable so you could just stream you using your android tablet like if you wanted to demo some other application yeah. or well that's not what i was thinking exactly what i was thinking because they are also pushing out the direct stylus too like they're saying that this is almost uh, something you can draw on with a oh, stylus yeah. and create art. And I don't know how many web comics you guys read, but a big thing on the web right now is live drawing. Mm. Oh. Like people watch yeah, this you definitely able to do that as someone's doing it. So boom, you've got this thing with it built in. That'd yeah, this is cool. this is it. Watch the like arcade see, guys doing it. You get to see a demo running uh, when I was out in San Francisco, and you can see here. Here's the the tablet streaming. Um, There's a little camera in the picture. I think this is my face right here on the side, and then there it is playing your back face on Twitch. It's my face. face. Um, and here's the. You know painting. what the best part of this entire thing is? I tell me. And maybe I am I am jumping the gun because you know I didn't read the article. <laughs> How many productivity apps and real browsing were you able to do on the original Shield? I mean, some guys had office apps running on it. You could do whatever you want, but it's, it was a small screen nope. and it's not a good tablet form factor. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a touch screen? I can't remember. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. Yeah. But you yeah, could also but... output to a monitor and it had enough USB plugs, or at least you could 
put enough USB plugs on it to hook a mouse and keyboard up to it. Trying to use that as a touchscreen in anything other than a game would have been painful because the screen like didn't exactly open yeah. all the way flat, and you couldn't just use it as if it was like a tablet kind of a thing. Yeah. Anyway, and so I, I'm just shield, saying that right? this is far more useful. Yeah. For anybody. I, I agree. So now the question that Ken and I have had now is, does it become less of a gaming thing? Because now, like, if you want to play games on it, like with the Shield, the argument was, how, how many people want to play games on a, on a five-inch screen? Yep. Right? Well, now the argument is, how many people want to play games on an eight-inch screen while the screen is sitting on the table and your controller's in your hands and, like, you want to, like, kind of And it doesn't, up and it doesn't have it. a kickstand, right? It has did, a did case you, that will have a kickstand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did so any separate, of you guys ever play so Game Boy? I mean, really? Yeah. yeah. The spinach yeah. machine? Yeah, but oh, the yeah. Game Boy didn't have a separate display that was external that yeah, you set on you a coffee table. You were holding the display up. The whole yeah, idea but it was also like screen, two and a half inches. But yeah. the whole idea of a small screen was like you were holding it close to your face. So the smallness of the screen was... It was two and a half inches, and we loved it. I'm sorry, Josh. You're trying to say the Game Boy wasn't successful? for that. Yes. Now, I'm sorry, Ken. Go ahead. Are you trying to say the Game Boy wasn't successful? Oh, it was. It was extremely successful. Yeah, he's so, like, oh, who would, who would ever would have wanted to play on a Game Boy? I know, no, uh, it's. But you've seen those videos on YouTube that have come out where they're handing someone like a, an old Apple computer or an old Game Boy, and the kids are like, "What? What the hell is this?" <laughs> they, they don't understand. No, I'm just saying, if you've got the content, if you got the idea, people don't always care about size. No, you're which right. Which is good for Ken. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what he said. I, I think the big issue with this is you have to buy three things to use as a gaming device. You have to buy the, the stand and the controller separately because right. you need to prop it up somehow and yeah. need the controller. Yeah. They're going to have like the shield was a the shield was a combined thing, right? You didn't need a kickstand. Yeah, you already had the display. Yeah. And you already had you had everything in one, everything in one item. So now it's three separate things. So you know what Nvidia is trying to do is say. The, sh- the original Shield Portable wasn't useful as a tablet, so they fixed that. Now you can use it just as a tablet if you and want And this to. will be a very... It's not as handy for um, hooking up to a TV, because if you wanted to hook the Shield Portable up to a TV to use the you know, TV output, then you had to have a separate controller. True. Right? But as a tablet, it's one of the most powerful tablets. What is? The Shield tablet. This new one? The new one. Yes. Right? So it's yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. very powerful tablet. Right. Even the, the yeah, I assume the performance aside. will be basically identical to this. Yeah, um, and that looks really, really good. It does, 3D but you know, it's it's how does the battery life stand out in the long term as well, right? So, um, I imagine it will be probably pretty pretty similar of the Shield tablet to the Xiaomi yeah my pad, and that had relatively good battery life. I mean, it had. It had a long battery life, but I, yeah. I hesitate to call it good battery life because that insinuates some kind of efficiency. If I have a 12,000 milliamp hour battery hooked up to it and it made it to 18 hours, that doesn't make it a better battery life because you're increasing the weight and all that stuff. What if, what if you have a butane-based power supply? <laughs> then you're in the magic future or the three years ago past. Yeah. yeah. That, that was vaporware. Yeah. Butane vapor. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about this is, right, so it's the Tegra K1, which means it supports OpenGL, not OpenGL. Well, it does support OpenGLS, but it supports full desktop class yeah, OpenGL. deal. Right? And they, you know, made a big deal about showing an Unreal Engine running on it and everything. Um, they're going to have 11 
Tegra K1 games when this launches next week. Right? And those include games like uh, War Thunder, The Talos Principle, Trine 2, Pure Chess, Half-Life 2, and Portal. These are like not the ones that were in on the original Shield. These are full OpenGL versions. Oh, cool. uh, Anomaly 2 and some other ones. Right? Uh, I got to play a handful of these. The War Thunder game is incredibly impressive looking running on a tablet. Yeah. And then when you, out, you can output that to full 1080p to your TV and it looks really, really, really good. Which is actually less pixels than what's on the tablet natively. Yeah, so. it is actually. Yeah. Um, It'll so, perform uh, better. I, I'm <laughs> curious. I'm, uh, I think our, my, like my sample gets here tomorrow that I, I hope that all 11 of these games or most of these games are loaded and we can just like try that. Because yeah. the, NVIDIA is calling this the tablet for gamers or the best tablet for gaming. I mean, it right? so, seems accurate. I mean, so like it will be. It, it, the, what, what has to happen is there has – what is the audience the, – the, the audience of tablet gamers today are not people that are necessarily wanting to buy a controller. Yeah. Right? There are people who are wasting time. This is not a wasting time gaming platform. This is a I want to play games and these are really good games on this tablet. So all of those 11 games or whatnot, do you have to have that controller to play those games? Uh, I would say Yes. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe not. I mean, it Maybe doesn't give you the two little actually, thumb think, circles think, on the screen th- or something. I think uh, they said, like, War Thunder would let you do right. the screen-based controls if you wanted so to. So there are people that do that. But it's a totally subpar experience. Yes, but there are still people that do that on, like, iPads they right could. now. And, and so. depending on what some of these, like, pure chess, you don't need a controller right. to do that. Um, you know, uh, trying to, you may not need one as much as you would with War Thunder or Half-Life 2 or Portal or something like that. Right, so I, I'm curious to see what it is because these games are ones that you know Nvidia's teams have curated and have been like working with the developers, saying, "Hey, let's get OpenGL running. We want to impress people with this. Let's do yeah, this." So they should all be pretty impressed. But the whole, you know, what Nvidia's stance is like, it doesn't take much work for people to convert their game to Android if they're using full OpenGL. Like if you already make an OpenGL game, that's right? true. What they want to do is they want to see all those games that are released on like the PlayStation Four in like the indie style of game. Mm-hmm. That are already written in OpenGL, just come on over, hmm. right? And now, now you make Android more appealing for gaming, and obviously they want it to be on Tegra K1 only. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, like I said, we'll have a full review of this next week for next week's show, I'm sure, um, and, and we'll see how it stands up, both as a, a general purpose tablet and then as the so-called like best gaming tablet. Yeah. I, cool. I liked the Tegra Note 7, but it wasn't enough for me to give up my Nexus 7 and like just keep that in my backpack full time. Uh, I'll be curious to see if this is that way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Josh, you still awake? Nope. I am really tired. Well, let's talk to you real quick then about an MSI A88X motherboard, the G45 Assassin's Creed Edition motherboard uh please i guess explain to me what that means first it's not as long of a name as what gigabyte does that is true even with even with the assassin's creed liberation hd limited edition in there it's probably still (laughs) it's it's real real damn close so anyway you know a couple of weeks ago i I wrote about the uh the gigabyte g1 sniper a88x and the a80x a88 X FCH from AMD is is their latest chipset. It uh, has the most features to date for an AMD chipset. It's got four USB 3.0 ports, eight SATA 6G. Uh, they 
seen perform well. It's you know an inexpensive, apparently apparently inexpensive chipset because these guys offer boards at very very low prices. Now MSI took this chipset and they ran with it. Where they, they had know? to figure out, you know what? AMD doesn't have a whole lot of um, muscle when it comes to selling processors, so we need to make our product exciting so we can actually sell them and address the, what small market that AMD still has. <laughs> and uh, they took this and, and they concentrated on a couple of things. One, obviously, audio is the big push. We saw it with the G1 Sniper. We've seen it with uh, Asus and their latest products on both the Intel and AMD side. And uh, the next part would be networking. Uh, they use the Qualcomm uh, Killer NIC, which is actually an Atheros uh, Ethernet. Uh, you know, uh, good lord, I am just going crazy today. What has happened to me? I haven't even drank that much. Ugh, that's the problem. I that's really problem. am tired. There you go. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so they've got a Gigi chip from Atheros, and they've improved the functionality of that by having a, a pretty impressive software stack behind it. And so you can do all kinds of QoS settings. Uh, it monitors your network. It kind of benchmarks things. It it adjusts things at the software level to make it run a little bit better in terms of networking. Now, overall performance of networking is very close to what Intel gives with their high-end giggy yeah. chipsets. Um, visually, it's kind of a stunning board. I mean, it's all black. It's got accents of red around there. It's not overpowering, but it just looks nice. It's a 4 plus 2 power uh, delivery circuitry for the APU which is probably the least impressive thing of this board. Does it really uh, need it doesn't really need anything more than that though? Well, I mean APUs? Asus and a couple others they have 6 yeah, 6 plus 2 and it does potentially and theoretically help, but in this case they're kind of dealing with an odd processor. I mean the A10 7850K is not a great overclocker. I mean it's using a uh, a 28 nanometer process. It's high K metal gate, but it's not SOI. It's not Trigate. It's not anything really ex- interesting. I mean, it's it's a bulk process that they use for GPUs and whatnot. And certainly, they have done things to tweak it mm-hmm. for the APU. But it's it's not you know it's not the great jump forward that a lot of us were hoping for. And so these things only overclock from anywhere from 4.4 to 4.7 gigahertz. Uh, there are some guys who can, you know, with with a lot more heroic cooling styles, can get it above 4.7 mega gigahertz. But it's again, it's a 95 watt TDP processor, um, and it, it, yeah, it, it does not require like a 22 phase power array that we see for the higher end Intel parts uh, from Gigabyte and MSI and, and whoever, and. Yep. Uh, so they also added another interesting feature. Uh, they did the VIA USB 3.0 kind of controller slash hub. So you have eight USB 3.0 ports, potentially uh, two going to the front, uh, two in the back that are powered by the AMD silicon, and then four from the VIA. And in terms of performance, this was a good board. I mean, we are seeing 
motherboard performance just really kind of stagnate from manufacturer to manufacturer. And that's just yeah. because everybody's using either an AMD chipset or an Intel chipset. There's really no Morvia. There's no SIS. There's no ULI. There's no Opti. None of these guys. And so all of it is, is kind of not saying it's stagnating, but it's no, it is not. It's not variable anymore, and not only that, but a lot of the functionality is, of course, going onto the CPUs. So we've got the memory controller there already. We've got the PCI Express controller on there, and pretty much the only thing is, you know, a lot of the I/O stuff like SATA six, USB, and whatever. Um, so, what, what do you think about the uh, like the either the software implementation of overclocking or the BIOS implementation of overclocking on the board. I, the, like the design and everything, I still like of what they've done in the MSI BIOS. Yeah, the, the automatic overclocking in BIOS did not work for me. Hmm. Now, having said that, when I push the button on the outside and power it up, button. it worked perfectly fine. And you've got to think that where is that change coming from? I mean, obviously, it's it's programmed somewhere in the firmware. Yeah. Why the disconnect between, hey, I'm going to enable this in the firmware as versus I'm going to press a button on the motherboard? I think this might be one of the first MSI boards to have the OCGD button for an AMD platform. They've had it before, like uh, the, uh, the 990FX GD80. It had okay. the same thing. I mean, it had a bunch of buttons on there, and it had the automatic overclocking. But this one's uh, but two, that was, isn't it? What was that? It doesn't have two buttons, but it's got two automatic overclocking settings. It's got, like, gamer and something else, doesn't it? Yes. You can flip a switch, and the regular one is just the regular overclocking. It'll get you about 4.2 gigahertz. Not an impressive overclock, but it's something very simple and an easy uh, performance boost for users. So you, you flip to the gaming switch. You can see that little thing that says slow mode. At the bottom, not to be don't enable that for slow mo, which is a really interesting wrapper, and you should probably look them <laughs> up on Google. Anyway, uh, so anyway, you go into the gaming mode, and it makes it a more aggressive overclock, and it got to about four point three gigahertz. So it was a hundred megahertz over mm-hmm. what the regular one was. But I mean, both settings work perfectly fine. I didn't have any problems with it. No. Uh, no instability. It was perfectly fine. Uh, once I actually got into you know the manual overclocking settings, then I was able to take this for, to four point seven gigahertz, which is hmm. the fastest I have taken this particular chip. I've I've used it on the uh, the G one Sniper, which has a similar four plus two power delivery system, and uh, it it got up to four point six and was not you know entirely stable. This was four point seven. It was it was really solid. And so MSI did a nice job in terms of uh, how they set up their BIOS, the hardware. It's a really good board. Um, again, the highlights of this, really, it's going to be the audio. Uh, it's, it's got amplified headphone audio. They've separated the audio portion from all the other parts of the motherboard as best they can. I mean, it's going to be an electrical noisy space, <laughs> but... They still did a good job, and so it matches, if not a little bit exceeds, the audio performance of the uh, G1 Sniper that I reviewed a couple of months, weeks ago. 
And so that's that's really is a, a nice selling point. What's it cost? Uh, it depends. I think I saw it for a hundred and nine bucks this past week. Uh, it has gone up to a hundred and eighteen in most places online. But still, when you consider all that you get, uh, including the Sound Blaster Cinema software layer that you can install and utilize on this board, gives you a bunch of features: HRTF stuff, crystallizer, you know, things that I may not use. Mm-hmm. But some people will find value in. I mean, that's kind of just still, thrown in. It still feels like AMD motherboards tend to give you, like, they're just fundamentally cheaper than Intel boards that offer this, a similar feature set. I guess I'd say. Yeah, because the what the most expensive FM. Yeah, the most expensive FM two plus board is the ASUS uh, A80X Pro something. Yeah, and it's one hundred and twenty five bucks. Seven bucks more expensive than this right now. I mean, that's their highest end. We don't know what the uh, what the Crossblade Ranger is going to come in at. Uh, probably going to be quite a bit higher. But AMD is in a spot where they cannot afford to have a motherboard that's going to be more expensive than the vast majority of their APUs. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so I mean, they're your they're, they're stuck. more expensive than your processor. Yeah, they're stuck in a corner here. I mean, they 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 cannot charge a lot for the chipset and uh, the motherboard partners have to be very very frugal in what they put on there but still give their product enough oomph and features and you know kind of visual pop to be able to sell them over their competitors but they just have I imagine their margins are just so you do recommend this board it did get an editor's choice in the review Uh, it was a fantastic board I mean I, I have tested this on a daily basis for the past two months since I you know, finished that G1 Sniper, and it has worked flawlessly. Very cool. Uh, check out the rest of the review over at PCPer.com. It's MSI A88X G45 Gaming Assassin's Creed Edition. Assassin's Creed Edition. But they, I think they've kind of sold out of those limited edition boards. Aww. Yeah, Son so you just got to get the gaming edition. All right, fine. We'll do that. Bummer. Uh, let's move on and talk about some storage stuff with Alan. Uh, you just literally posted a review of the Western Digital 6-terabyte uh, RED and 4-terabyte RED Pro. Yes. Drive. So let's start, um, let's start, if we will, with the 4-terabyte RED Pro um, because this is a, um, a drive that we already know about the 4-terabyte RED. Yep. Right. So what changed from the 4-terabyte RED to the 4-terabyte RED Pro or so Pro RED or whatever? The previous lines from Western Digital was they have, like, all sorts of colors. Yes. Right? So you've got, like... Red, green, a, blue, you black, got, uh, A green series drive, which is, like, a really low power. It actually... They call it Intel power, but it's really, like, a 5400 RPM drive. Mm-hmm. Right? That's The green was the one that a lot of people were just kind of gobbling up a few years back. And putting into raids and NASAs mm-hmm. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and then people start realizing, well, that has issues. Though that has issues because those drives don't have TLER, which right. is the the faster timeout mm-hmm. if you're going to have drives in a raid. So Western Digital s- kind of saw that need to make a red drive. So then you had a red drive, red okay. series drives, right? Um, now in the meantime, you had other drives that were on the enterprise side. So there was an RE series, which is kind of like a black, but really like a enterprise-grade black, right? Actually, okay. has like accelerometers in it and things to to put them in massive, you know, chassis full of raids and 
like lots of drives, stuff like that. So there was an Ari, and then um, Western Digital rebranded kind of their enterprise line like a little bit o- over a year back or around a year back, where they said the like the what used to be Velociraptor is now like XE. That's like sure. really high end enterprise. And then sure. there's Ari, which is like the enterprise, and then there's uh, SE, which is like the kind of like their lower end enterprise. Well, the SE is actually very, very close to the Red Pro. Okay. So we, I brought this little table here that shows the difference in specification-wise, WD-RED to WD-RED Pro. Right. Um, the one that stands out to me is the 7200 RPM versus a Telepower or 5400 RPM. Yep. And the warranty. It's got a, the enterprise-level enterprise okay. warranty, five-year warranty. Um, a lot of the other specs are pretty much the same, right? It's the, the firmware is still kind of built around being a, a NAS type as opposed to a enterprise raid now right? this this says recommended 8 to 16 bay nas systems while the red says 1 to 8 bay is there actually a difference there or is it just okay like, so reds, i could use the red pro in a four array four bay array reds were well first of all you can use the red pro or any even any enterprise drives in raids anywhere smaller than the range that they're recommending okay they're just trying to give you a guideline there sure um so you can use red pros all the way down to just a pair Okay. In like a striped raid, if you wanted to, right? Um, however, the uh, the red, the regular red, used to only be supported up to a ra- uh, an array of five drives. Supported only up to five. Supported. Okay. So uh, the red drives do not have the hardware-based vibration compensation that the enterprise drives and the red pro drives have. The red pro does have it. Red pro does have okay. it. Okay. Okay. So that means that th- those drives actually have accelerometers built into them. If there's vibration in the, in the chassis they're mounted to, then it can compensate and kind of offset where the heads are seeking. By the to. way, I find that incredibly fascinating. Yeah. It's, it, just the idea that if there's slight vibrations in a server or in your machine, it detects it with an accelerometer and it adjusts head movement yeah. based on it. Well, it's a lot but of, sorry, a lot of folks, it's still not rated Ryan proof. Uh, well, that's true. But sorry. A lot of folks have seen that that uh, there's a video from years back where a guy was screaming into oh, yeah. a raid chassis. Yeah, and, and it, it was actually per- dropping the performance, right? Because the heads were actually misreading during that operation. Don't so yell if at you, your servers. Right. So if you have that's just that's just another vibration, right? Just Maybe screaming that explains at the server. all of my broken raid. Yeah, yeah you I should just, stop I screaming. Get really mad stop screaming at your raids. Um, so this is able to compensate for that kind of an effect, right? However, the um, the regular red drives do not have those hardware sensors because they wanted to make a much lower cost drive that okay. was NAS capable. So they do that in software. Right. There's a way to kind of, if the head is misreading stuff, it can kind of pick up on like that pattern and go, oh, there must be a vibration, and it kind of figures out to the best of its ability, and it compensates. Well, okay. The new Reds have a new, an updated version of what Western Digital calls NASware, which is just their firmware, right? And uh, part of that firmware is the ability to compensate for this. And now they've upgraded that ability to support up to eight drives. Okay. So you can still put, you can really put as many Reds in a RAID as you want. But Western, if you have an issue, Western Digital is only going to support your issue. Okay. If you Fair have enough. like eight or less drives. So the Red Pros are faster than the Reds. Much faster. Uh, first, the Seeks are faster. Second, they're 7,200 RPM. Okay. Right? Um, and third... Platter density the same, though? Say again? Platter density the same? Uh, no, it's only... Uh, it's Well, it's... The platter density is the same as, like, the Enterprise equivalent, which is the SE. It's a, it's a five-platter drive, but it's only 800 gigs per platter. Mm-hmm. So the max capacity is only four terabytes. Okay. On the Red Pro. 
the regular reds the higher capacities of the regular reds which is the new capacities of five and six terabytes those are uh, the six terabyte is a five platter drive that's 1.2 terabytes per platter. so let's talk about the six terabyte drive how is it so the six terabyte drive is not a pro it is a, a wd red so it is a 5400 rpm drive mm-hmm. and it shares basically the same specifications of the four terabyte red pro or red not pro it's, but it has a like higher ex- platter density. It, it's just higher platter density, but it's following the same lineage as the standard red. Okay. 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 So the seeks aren't going to be super fast. It's, it's more of a, you know, it's the, the red started out as basically a green with TLER. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, they've made some improvements since that spinoff, but it's still kind of similar. And also, the same time Western Digital announced these two drives, they also announced six terabyte greens coming. So I would imagine a six terabyte green is going to be very similar to this six terabyte red, TLER. just without TLER and more gotcha. meant more as a single drive in like an external enclosure kind okay. of thing, right? Um, so we did all these performance tests, and uh, what page should I look at here? Uh, well, I mean, you can start on the the HD Tune page just to see the transfer rates. Okay, and um, if you look at the center chart on that page, you can just see kind of like the generic spread where you see that drives are. Um, Drives will, g- generically speaking, they'll get faster throughputs if they're faster spinning platter speeds, that okay. sort of thing, right? So if we look at the, uh, let's see, where's the red 4 terabyte down here? Max, or let's say average 109. Yeah, third, third from the bottom. Whereas the WD Red Pro, average 145. Uh, where are you? Red Pro, 145. And then the red, the regular red, was still higher than the 4 terabyte red. Right, if you look yes. at the top compared to the third from the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the six terabyte red is faster, but that's more from platter density changes. It is basically just because of platter density. Not, that's, not because of the four terabyte pro is faster because of technological changes. Seventy two hundred RPM, better seek. Well, the basically the track geometry on the red pro four terabyte is is nearly identical to the uh, SE. If you mm-hmm. look at that chart, right, you'll see those numbers oh, are yeah. almost exactly the same. Yep. And a little ooly here is that the original, like you see a black four terabyte third from the top there. Yeah, it's actually performing much lesser than other drives at the same speed yeah, and everything yeah. else. And that's because that was the first, like the black was like one of the first four terabyte models that they released. Sure. And they have since changed the the track layout, like how the those tracks uh, are okay. oriented on the drive. Right. Gotcha. So. And we don't have one to test, but actually, like newer iterations of the black four terabyte would look very similar to all the. So uh, seek time, though, this isn't worth looking at. Seek time, uh, random access time. Yeah, it is worth looking at, and uh, there's a bit of an uli here that we're going to start covering. A what? What's an uli? Please explain. An uli, uh, an, an uh, abnormality, uh, weird piece of knowledge. Okay, does so, uli stand uh, for something that we should? I know? don't know. It's a navy thing. Sorry. Arata. Errata, yeah. Okay, all um, right. So if you look at the red 4 terabyte, you'll see that the Seeks were kind of on the long side. Yep. Right? Uh, they were improved since the 3 terabyte red mm-hmm. when that first came out. Uh, so that was good. Uh, but the other drives that have a faster spindle speed, they're obviously going to have faster Seeks because you're waiting less time for sure. the data to make it around, right? Uh, however, the red 6 terabyte was pretty high. Um, yeah. Now that might be an accurate number. Or it might not be. And the reason we're not sure, if you go to the, uh, let's see, what's the best example? The iometer page. Okay. Is that there is a bug 
in the firmware of this drive. The six not a bug. This, it's a feature. It's well, it's a feature <laughs> no, that they're going to. It's fix. definitely not a feature. <laughs> so um, this is the the iometer results are, show this the best, but there is some sort of a misconfiguration according to Western Digital in the six terabyte drive. And they figured it out because we saw these results and kind of I reached out to them and sent them some of the charts and I was like, hey, this doesn't look like it should. And uh, right. So they, what, we're, what we're looking at here is if you look at this graph, the blue line is the Western Digital Red 6 terabyte drive. Yep. And you notice how it's as the Q depth increases. It's, it's essentially vomiting on its shoes at higher Q depth. Yeah, it's, well, it's, um, just, it's just yes, staying it stationary. It's yeah. not improving performance as Q depth it's, increases. It's basically a flat line. It does taper down, but that's just because you're piling so many commands on it at the end. But we'd expect it to maybe follow these other, these green, these purple, these oranges as they yep. increase. Yep. AHCI uh, SATA basically supports Q depths up to 32 on a single device. Okay. So all the other drives will ramp up until they hit 32 and then they hit a flat Mm-hmm. Plateau, right? Yep. Um, this one just had the flat plateau starts at one. So yeah. you can uh, see it, it progresses on all of our different tests as right. well. And this now, what this means for people is, and the reason that this didn't really affect the sequential throughput numbers or any of the other stuff is, this is a multi-threaded test. So this is the this is what happens when you have multiple things going on. If these drives were in a NAS, for example, if you had four different people streaming from it or actually writing or reading files to this NAS at the same time, mm-hmm. the result would be under that four column in that chart. Okay. Like the amount that the drives would scale. Gotcha. And the reason that they do scale is because it's a mechanical process, right? You're trying to move ahead to a certain track and read from it. Now, if you only let the drive know one one at a the time next data that what you're doing get. yeah it has to basically it can't really optimize what it's doing it has to seek wait for the platter to turn around and get to that point and then do the read or the write um whereas if you can give it more things like a heads up mm-hmm. right it can actually reorder that pattern so that it can handle those things on average it's getting, like if it's saying oh i can get this on the way yeah i'll reorder that so that i'm getting that one data it's maybe it came in maybe that request came in after but it's on the way. This yeah. is this will, it's like, this will it's like overall think performance. Think of a kid that is delivering groceries around a neighborhood. Instead of going to the most logical place first and making it so your pattern is lower, you just go to whoever ordered the groceries first, yeah. right. and you walk three times as far. Pizza man. Yeah. So imagine you, you know doing your grocery shopping with just a list that was as you wrote the stuff down, and you had to go to the milk and then to the salad, yes, and then to the crackers or if you were able to look at 32 things and go, in well, a row, this, this aisle happens to have multiple yeah. of these and, items. And basically, yeah. and, and you can actually hear a drive that has command queuing operating. You can hear it go through that like reorder sequence. You can actually hear the seek because hmm. it actually sounds like the, the, the head is like m- sort of sweeping from inner to outer or vice versa over and over again. As opposed to just as opposed to just going completely back random yeah, like, as white noise. As opposed to being the family circus kid. Yes. <laughs> or am I dating myself with that reference? Kind of. You are not. Anyway. So, so, um, this, so but this only affects the 6-terabyte drive this, of the new drive. Yeah, it only affected the 6-terabyte drive. Uh, it's something that Western Digital didn't expect this. That, you know, they were kind of sure. kind of taken aback when we pointed this out and went, oh, wait a minute, that's something's wrong here. And then sure. now they're going through this whole process where they're going to, um, because these drives are for sale 
they're going to have to issue a firmware update. Right. So we did check, and we were kind of holding off on publishing this review because we found these issues. Yeah. And I was like, no, Alan, let's wait because the drives aren't for sale yet. We're not, you know, we're not preventing anybody from making purchases. But now, yep. we, today, we did find them on Newegg and Amazon. So I said, okay, stock. We, we need to go, like, it, this is what we're supposed to do. Well, we need right? to, to tell there people. And inform people that, hey, you can buy these drives, but this is the limitation that that 6-terabyte model has today. Yep. And, and, and like I said, Western Digital is not like – they're not issuing a recall or anything like that. They're, they're not going to do a to. firmware update. Yeah, they'll just do a firmware. Um, and we think what we'll see is the standard scaling, right? It should uh, scale similarly to all the other drives yeah. once we've done that. And we, don't, we don't know if there's other kind of – you know, we don't know how well it's going to do because it actually – even the start point on that – chart it's a little bit low. It looks kind of low compared to where I'd expect it to be. So I suspect with the fixed firmware it's going to So once we have better. that firmware though, we will obviously update that. Yep. Post another story that reevaluates a 6 terabyte in its in its performance estimates there. Yep. Um, but let's look at uh, like pricing of this stuff, right? So now not only are you talking about 6 terabyte drives again because that's still going to blow people's minds, I think, for a lot of it's it. It's a lot of storage space um, for one device, yeah. 6 terabyte hard drive is $299 and or Translated to fifty cents, no, five cents. <laughs> Sorry, per gigabyte. I added a digit to the. Uh, no, you got it. You had it right here. You, yeah. yeah, you did. You added. It, it confused me at first. Instead of point oh five, because you know when you're talking about a nickel. Um, yeah, no. Like if you look you know, down there, point. It's like six and a half cents or six point yeah. six cents. Tenths of a cent become significant when you're down to that. So the, the Red Pro is six and a half cents per gig for the four terabyte model. Um, does that seem too expensive for what you're getting, or is it you're getting extra performance? Is that worth it? So these are so we actually had some people in the chat point this out before the article, which led me to add a little line down there. But uh, these are MSRPs, sure. And every single Western Digital drive that's come out, like just bare drives, the price always drops pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not through the floor, but it always comes down some sure. after the drive is launched compared to the MSRP. Uh, but readers and and uh, viewers were pointing out, hey, the SE which is actually the enterprise version of the Red Pro, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is supported in raids of even more numbers and has very similar specs and stuff like that, is actually cheaper than the intro MSRP for the Red Pro. Ah, uh, so okay. That's, it seems kind of a disparity there, but the SE's been on the market for a long time. Right. And people that are looking this up, they're seeing like market price of the, like fair market or whatever the current street price is basically gotcha of the se compared to the red pro so i suspect once the red pro is out for like a month or two it'll probably come down to match the se huh okay so what's i mean but the pricing is pretty good right like it's it's uh compared to i mean obviously it's a little bit of a premium over the se right but you, you have, would i think it's fair to say we would hold off on recommending anybody buying the six terabyte drives until this is fixed i would hold off until we had a firmware I don't know how long it's going to take. I, I will say that Western Digital has done... Initially, our response was, well, that might take them a while because... Right. You know, just our chat in the I, office was like, oh, well, that's that's a tricky thing to do, updating like a firmware on a hard drive. They, they don't do this all the time, but they did with the Velociraptors. Yeah. It's been a while. I'm still worried about... I know I asked you this and you said that they shouldn't have to... It shouldn't have to format the drive to update the firmware. They shouldn't have to, no. I just still worry about that because we went through so much of that with the early SSDs. You, you, you as wouldn't well. want your only copy of your data on this. 
Right. That's what I'm saying. Don't buy it. I I would say don't buy the six terabyte until they fix it, and then we can give it another evaluation after we have retested performance. Yeah, you would at least want the firmware. Maybe pricing will be updated too. You're not going to want to have to try to do a firmware update on this after you've already had them in a NAS and and like the the array created and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because then we don't know if you're going to have to have them connected through legacy mode to a BIOS to do all that stuff. There's a lot of variables there. So I would at least. You want to do this before you put them into production. Yeah. At a minimum, well, they're already. Yeah, like in a production environment, sure. Yeah. Um, but yes, at least yes. wait for the firmware to be available. That way, if you do get new old stock, by chance, right. you ordered it, you just happen to get the... Because they're not going to know... You're not going to know for sure if the drive was updated or not. Uh, then at least you can just update them like at your desk before you go sticking them in yeah. your ass. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So check out that review. It's at PCPro.com as well. It's a website on the internet. Yes. And uh, we're going to move on to, to a handful of news items here. Um, first up, AMD financial results. Uh, Josh, did they make any money? No, mm. but they didn't lose an as extreme much? amount of money. Now, if you <laughs> if you go with the non-GAAP, you know, generally acceptable accounting practices, they made money. But then they had some charges and whatnot, so I think they came out about thirty-five million dollars short, which is pretty good for AMD, even this though they like increased. Half- this is What's like that? having a financial conversation with my wife. Well, we lost less money. We spent less <laughs> money this month on grocery we did last month. We, no, we lost less money this yes. time. Yes, use double yeah, negatives. It's like, it's hey, slowly. you know what? The federal def- deficit is falling like a rock. Instead of, instead of spending $1.8 trillion over, we're only at $800 trillion, billion Right, over. exactly. Right. Yeah. That's the same yeah. type of positive growth It's good news. For. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, in this case, it, it is actually kind of good news for them. Um, they did not get the big boost that Intel did. And part of that is because the APUs, while they're interesting and good products in terms of graphics, they're still not great in terms of power and uh, overall CPU performance. And so Intel has been just kind of eating away at them. And um, we had an upgrade cycle this past six months, and Intel really benefited from that. So people were expecting because, hey, you know, Intel had this really good, uh, very optimistic, um, better than expected type result. Maybe AMD would be that way. And so the stock price just kind of went up to $4.60. They released the uh, the results. They were not as rosy Did as you say we're $4? hoping. And it dropped down to like $3.80 per oh. share. Yeah, so the graphics, are, they're doing very well there. They're still, you know, they're, they're kind of holding up the boat. The APUs are doing okay, but they're not growing as much as I think they would wish they would. Yeah, I think, I think actually the same is true of their graphics, right? They haven't really gained market share. Yeah, and where they're showing, yeah, of course, the most strength is their, uh, their you know, their Build-A-Bear type. Uh, I love that story. Yeah. So do my kids, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean you know the the, the semi custom uh, SOC oh, group right, right, right. with the uh, Xbox and yeah. and the uh, PlayStation, uh, that's really helping to hold them up, and it's going to be interesting to see if anybody else takes that route with AMD and says, hey, you know, design me a chip using your technology, and I'll just pay you royalties while I fabricate this. And AMD will be like, sure. So uh, yeah, they they. They did not have a horrible quarter. I mean, the the bottom didn't drop out. I they, they still uh, increased from like one point four to one point four four billion. Yeah, 
yeah, but their but their competitor made three point seven billion dollars. Yeah, but AMD's no longer really competing <laughs> with Intel, so Oh, is that what they're saying? I think that they have to, that, to keep their head yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're not really, just don't forget forget about those guys. We're just, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's still the bread and butter. Yeah. But they are spreading their fingers into other markets whoa, and other whoa, pies. Oh, gross. Gross. He gross. said markets. Markets. Gross. Uh, sure. Let's talk about Intel AVX 512. Um, this was a story written up by Scott. Uh, it's kind of like the, the Xeon Phi coprocessor. Yeah, what is that? They look like still GPUs. A thing. Well, uh, Jeremy, do you do you have any info on this? This is uh, essentially the uh, what, what what the hell was that called? Larrabee. Oh no, it's not Larrabee. Oh, but it so is. <laughs> I mean, it was the continuation of that idea, right? You know, which they totally abandoned. We're never going to deal with. Right. Uh, but it's kind of nice. It, it's built for vectorization. Uh, it is sort of the thing that we were talking about when we thought of Larrabee and the gigantic amount of cores was going to be a thing. So it's it's interesting. It has an obnoxious amount. 16 32-bit pieces of data to be worked on parallel. This is just crazy. Uh, you, each processor core is going to be doing a lot more work, uh, a lot of specialized work. Don't expect this to be an Intel GPU that takes over the market. But for people that are doing productivity work, it's going to be pretty neat, uh, especially when you tie it in with Phi. So, you know, honestly, it's it's a little hard to explain unless you're a programmer. But uh, so instead of piling billions and billions of cores, they're vectorizing it. They're doing a lot of parallel processor. And uh, actually, if, if you don't understand what risk is, you, you should actually read this because he does a really good job of explaining, you know, multiple uh, multiple commands per uh process right and so, so, reduce in size computing so overall i it's not going to be huge for the enthusiast but for those of us with a day job it's going to be hey, rather nice hey hey i have a day job can you sure you do can you use this as a <laughs> gpu uh i do not think so i don't think so no i don't think there's there's no uh, driver the lack of outputs would be oh. one problem yeah that's true as well there's no display outputs. so then what like this is a this is a the co- use this here? is a this is a coprocessor. This is a processor. Yes. For this is this is HPC. For what kind of math? So Just about graphics. anything that can be done parallel. Vectorized math. <laughs> vectorized like GP, math. GPU stuff. Right. So yeah. vectors like in graphics. So, but yeah, but I mean, yeah. AVX has been around for a while. Oh, AVX okay. extensions have been around for a while. This is a new version of AVX. AVX five twelve talks about the the total. Bit so this length. only does those extensions. Does not do the graphical stuff. It does. So like not the GPU stuff. It it could probably do graphics if Intel had like a DirectX driver for it. Sure. sure. But that's what Laravel was going to be, and that turned out to be a yeah. dud. Right, so, so this is, they're getting away from that. So you know, this is Larrabee without the video out. Kind of, kind yeah, of, kind but of, it, it yeah. has it has taken multiple progressions since then. Yeah, but it's it's going for the same market that like Tesla cards from Nvidia yeah. go after. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's GPU it. compute. Right, those are cards that will do massive vectorized math, but yep. don't have video outputs. Right, it's 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 an addressable compute unit. Um, I would like to see. It's been a while since I've looked into this stuff to see kind of where it sits in the performance. Yeah, like I landscape. wonder how that would perform 
compared to like the yeah. equivalent like Nvidia, and it's different, right? Because yeah. this is all x86 cores, yeah, and so it it, it performs differently. Things have to be um, uh, written for it differently, compiled yep. differently. Yep. Nothing it does else. different kind of math. Or, well, no, actually, the thing is, they have to be compiled the same as if you were going to do it for an x86 processor. You don't right. have to worry about translating into a GP GPU. This is pretty much going to run the same way uh, as what you've programmed has, yeah. just faster. Yeah. Right. So Just if you if so, you have written so much faster. If you've written code for I don't know two hundred processors to use at the same time, this could do this that. could do that on one card. On one card. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And likely pretty quick. So. So crack those zip passwords faster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nvidia is preparing GeForce eight hundred M Maxwell GPUs. This should probably not be a uh, a shock to anybody. Um, they have some, but not all. These are some new parts based on second-generation Maxwell architecture. 800M. Wasn't there already like an 850M, like yep. a ZenBook? Uh, there definitely has been 800M parts. Yeah. 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 Uh, is this that same thing? So, no, this is second-generation Maxwell architecture. I don't know exactly what that means yet. The source believes that these new GPUs will, in the, uh, will be in the GeForce GTX 800 series, possibly with the MX suffix that was last seen with the 680MX. Um, okay, so they're going to change some letter in there so you know that there's a difference. Maybe. Then, I hope. Maybe. Because that would be confusing. Yeah. The, the, the whole Maxwell GPU rollout has been kind of a cluster in reality. Yeah, right? it's only so shown up in a couple... We have the 750 Ti and the 750, yeah. right? And then we have uh, some mobile parts. Yeah, some like 8, 840 or something or 830. I think like it I goes up as high as like the 860 maybe. I'd it's, have to it's look back at that 850 or 860. We did a review on that one laptop, right? That yeah. We've definitely used Maxwell-based notebooks. It's yeah. just, you know, they're, they're on the low end of parts. So it's still a question of whether or not or when we'll see like high-end either desktop or even high-end notebook GPUs based yeah. on Maxwell. Um, because I don't. What's after that? Do you remember, Josh? What that? What the Volta? That sounds. Yeah, right? I think that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the supposed 3D stack memory. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I definitely yeah. think we'll see Maxwell. I don't know if we'll see it this year. I hope so. It's been kind of boring. Yeah. But it's not going to be at 20 nanometer. Uh, All the leaks so far have said that uh, yeah. AMD and NVIDIA, they're going to have their next generation architecture all on 28 nanometer. Boo. At least initially. Wake me up in 2015. Uh, it's finally happened, everybody. We have found John Carmack's replacement. Nobody can replace everybody, John Everybody. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. John Carmack has been replaced. <laughs> uh John Carmack's replacement at id, at least, is Tiago Sousa, previously of Crytek. He was the lead R&D graphics engineer at Crytek, um, according to his now-defunct Twitter account. Crytek made good stuff. Crytek made an incredible graphics engine. So I have, in terms of, like, the best person to get, I don't know anything about this guy, um, but... He On has, paper, he he has a pretty good resume. Like yeah. if he actually was a, an integral part as opposed to just the guy at the top yeah. when all that was happening, that's pretty impressive stuff. So he is going to work at id Software to help with Doom and id Tech 6, according to this. Um, so cool. uh, Scott wrote this up for us, as he tends to do. He, he said he found it more interesting because id Tech 5 wasn't really used much outside of Rage and the, uh, the latest Wolfenstein yeah. or Wolfenstein depending on if Maury's in the room, uh, game. Uh, 
So considering Rage, let's see, Rage was almost three years old and the engine was first revealed in 2007. I didn't realize that that engine was, had legacy going back yeah. that old. So I, I, I'm interested to see what will happen. Um, it has really not been a force in, in game engine licensing in years. Year, the Quake 3 is still like the engine that, yep. that, that really was, was last success for them. And are they going to try to, to get back into that world, or are they simply going to use that and keep it as an in-house engine for Bethesda? What's that? It, it is, right? But will that company be satisfied with that, right? Because it all comes down to how much time and money does it cost to develop a really good engine? And then if someone, you know, one of your biz dev guys comes in and says – Guys, we got like three three customers. We can line this up for like twenty million dollars a year, and we don't have to do jack yep. to do it. We just have to give them this code and support them a little bit. And will that convince them to do it? But they have to have something to compete against. Um, Unreal, Unity, who else is out there? Uh, Dice. No, they're only being they're only using that inside EA as well. Oh yeah, hell, Bethesda has their own engine with ESO <clears throat> and the stuff that they use with like Skyrim. Yeah, clearly that doesn't need to be updated. Clearly, well, the textures could be. <laughs> just say yeah. well don't worry the, the mod community will handle all that for them so they don't need to worry about <laughs> exactly. anything they don't need to worry about anything uh, alright let's get into our hardware and software picks of the week um, this, <laughs> this is mine right here it is the tag GPS pet tracker this is a dog and cat collar attachment you can see here but uh, is it chew worthy Oh, it's definitely chewable. So what you've got here is like you've got this white centerpiece. This is your GPS and a cellular radio. Uh-huh. Uh, it turns out these gray things on the side actually have part of the antenna. Yeah, you can tell if your dog it. chews through it. You um, can see the antenna. It has some pretty cool really software. Uh, it does activity tracking. The idea is you attach this thing to your dog's collar. It uh, keeps track of where it is. Mm-hmm. And the technology that actually behind it is actually pretty interesting how it works with the base station for a low power mode. And once it gets outside of that range, it goes in the high power mode because that's when your dog is lost. Yeah. Um, and it'll go like more than a week like uh, yeah. if the dog's so around set, the house. So you set like a home zone in, uh, like around your house. And then if your dog gets out and it goes outside of that zone, it will send you a text message, send you an email, send you an alert through their app. Yep. And you can and you can do all that stuff. And it actually works really well so far in my experience. Mm-hmm. Like the the technology of it works, the activity tracking works. But but you should get this if you have one dog. Well in theory. Or you could have just two adult dogs. If you dogs, have maybe two adult do dogs crap because anymore. a dog can't chew its own collar very it's easily. Very difficult. But if you have two brand relatively new dogs like Ryan. Yeah. Then they will cohort with each other. So what happens is is you get this, right? Yeah. And you really can't see it. Uh, Where the one dog sees the shiny white thing on the other dog's collar and goes, hey, that looks chewable, and proceeds to just rip it to shreds. Basically. So I'm guessing that's what happened. Uh, it, again, a really cool thing actually alerted me that this was even the case. As I got a, an alert it on said my it was phone being chewed. that said, no, I got an alert on my phone that said, uh, Drew's tracker has fallen off of her collar. Oh, and I don't know how it, it actually that. knew that. It knew that because the accelerometer just like it just stopped. But how did they know? Oh, the dog come was on, they've sleeping? met puppies before, and the only regret a puppy has is that it's only got one tongue know. to taste the knew. world. Well, when a dog sleeps, it's still moving a little. The collar's still moving a little. Maybe. Right? So I get a notification that hey, it's been de- it, it has detached. And it's go, fallen and it can't get up. So my nephew's out there and he's watching the dog. Says, hey, go out there and see if you can find where it is. And he, this is what he brings back. So they basically they were probably playing and uh, uh, Anna bit it. 
bit at the the things that bit latch it, it on just perfectly, dog. right? Yes. And it came off, and then they were both like, "Ooh, what's this?" And then they decided to chew on it. It actually still functions. It functioned long enough, at least, to tell you that it was on off the. Well, collar. I mean, I put it on the charger last night. It still works. Yeah, it still works. It still works, but obviously, I'm guessing the reception is a little bit less because you can see part of the yeah, the antennas, antennas are kind of mangled. And, These yeah. are ninety bucks, ninety five bucks. So that sucks. Um, <laughs> well, right, and just put it in some dog food, and you'll be able to track them for at least a two, three days. I, That's true. Yeah. I did. Uh, I called the company today, and I was like, "Yeah, so this happened." And then they're what like, think? they're like, send us pictures. So he sends them pictures. I send them pictures. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. Okay. You can buy another one, I guess. Yeah, we'll just, just buy another one. What? So sucks to this. be you. So I'm going to give them one more chance. And then after that, I don't care if they get lost, I guess. And after that, we will encase them but in it's actually, Sugru. It's actually really, really cool tech. It is. Like the the way the way that so it's a, obviously it's a pretty small battery. This is the entirety of it here, and so it keeps it in. It, it, there's a docking station that you keep in your house, permanently yep. plugged into the wall. And the docking and, station the docking is station. also like it's also a cellular radio. Yeah, right. And so when when but this, it's shaped like a dog bone, so they could potentially chew that as well. No, I keep that high in a way. Okay. But uh, I, I might write something about this because of the technology in it. We kind of took it apart today. This one clearly ninety dollars is to pretty find cheap. A Qualcomm for, processor in Think there. about it. It's a hundred bucks. You're getting two cellular radio devices. Yep. Technically, and you have to pay a monthly service after like the first six months or something. I thought they give you like a year or something. Maybe maybe it's a year. It's, I think it's nah, six months three months. Oh, three months. Um, and it's like four ninety five a month after that. That's it's not, not. It's not. Awful. I mean, that's not horrible. It's not awful. It adds up if you have all the. There's dogs, at least but, a couple other companies that are doing the same thing with this. Yeah. And so they've. Reach out to me actually after I started talking about this with the with the tag tracker people. So we'll see. Um, I really like the device. Don't let it get chewed up. I guess is yeah. the answer there. Josh, me, Jeremy, Jeremy. No, not you. Okay, Jeremy, Jeremy's <laughs> up next. Uh, well, I was tempted to talk about uh, HSA and LB. Well, being supported on Linux in the future, but I decided to go with the Square Enix bundle that they've got going right now, where you can get pretty much all the games for like fifteen dollars. Every single Deus Ex, uh, just cause two. Uh, it's a pretty good bundle. Thief Gold Edition. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier. Uh, it's not mini ninjas. Bad. It's like there, there is one drawback. You you are no longer going to be able to say that you don't own Die Katana because you will. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, it is ridiculously oh, cheap Romero, for a crap load of games. So does it also do like come with all the soundtracks and stuff like some of those other... Uh, I, don't, I don't see it. Uh, I don't know if the director's cut does, but I think so. Because some of the, the other... The HR one is director's cut. It's, I think it's just the weekly bundles that tend to come with like all the soundtracks individually and stuff. But. I like the statistic down here. The average Windows buyer is cheaper than the average <laughs> Mac. And actually the Linux buyer is the one who's spending the most. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's okay. The most by. Look at this guy. Look at this. We should do this. If we donate $134, we can just put PCPer.com as the top contributor. Hey, there you go. Yeah. And hmm. these people have their Twitter handles and stuff. I don't think that link works, but whatever. Andy. Um, I like Josh Tech. Oh, I mean, that's Josh Burke. Josh number Tech. Seven. It was close, but not quite. Uh, so Very close. cool. Uh, let me see. Uh, do I have who's whose pick am I missing here? Okay, Josh. Josh. Me. Of course, it's Josh. Josh Tech. All right, Josh. Okay, what do you got I'm for us? very original. You know, if you like Kaveri, you're gonna like this motherboard. You're gonna you're gonna pick the motherboard we just talked about. I just reviewed. <laughs> it's really good. It's really cheap. Now, if if uh, if you noticed about a week ago, 
Yep. I, I wrote up a little news post that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's gotten a little bit of traffic. And uh, it's about running the Kaveri APU uh, in parallel with a standalone GPU. Mm-hmm. And as hopefully HSA stuff becomes more available, you can actually utilize more of the silicon on the APU to do more work, allowing the graphics card to do more 3D graphics. work that it's yeah that it's really good at. And so uh, it may not be a perfect solution at this time, but it certainly has potential. And if you're willing to bet on potential, this is an inexpensive way for you? to get into it. What's that? If you're willing to bet on potential, we're the team for you. Exactly. In fact, a lot of people bet on my lifetime potential, and so far, they've been disappointed. We've all been paid in full. Don't worry about it. Okay. Don't worry about it. All right, that leaves uh, one more for Alan over here. So, at CES, uh, Micron, Mm -hmm. which is also in uh, cohorts or owns, wholly owned subsidiary or whatever you want to call it, Lexar. It's like Lexar, Crucial, Micron. Oh, right? okay, I didn't know that. So they were giving out their press kits on these little Lexar, uh, those little tiny micro SD readers that's barely bigger than like a USB. So that's a reader. Know, that it's I'm a reader. It's only like memory. twice okay. the length of the metal part of that plugs in yeah. to you know, your PC, right? It looks like a dongle games. for like a wireless mouse, basically. But it's a, but it's a micro SD card reader. And I find myself just starting to use that more and more, and then I had like a 64 gig card lying around and figured well what the heck i'll plug that in it was like you know even a faster one and this thing was going like over 60 meg per second on this really tiny thing right it says retransfer speed of up to 90 they say up to 90 i wasn't using it with this particular card i was using it with one of the newer like samsung cards that do like over 60 and it was doing over 60 so Mm. you have like you know an upgradable really tiny micro jump drive right this is micro sd yeah yeah, so I mean, you don't, you know, you can just instead of getting a like another jump drive or whatnot, you know, and if you want, and instead of carrying multiple jump drives around, you could just, potentially have like a little. I don't want anything else I can lose. Well, you, I would recommend putting, you know, a stack of micro SD cards like in some sort of case or what, whatever. But like Even you the could, reader, you I could in theory don't tie them to your puppy, Ryan. Instead of <laughs> instead of carrying a, a bunch of jump drives or or sitting there trying to configure one of those multi boot like jump drives that are huge but have yeah. like a bunch of different images on them or something yeah. you could just have, just have like a bunch of different just cards. grab you know your your stat collect all of your micro sd cards from various things that you have lying around and get one of these things and then just put the different images on each card and you can just like swap the card they're so tiny like they're even hard to like they are very out. tiny i would recommend just having like i feel a case. like i could lose it in this desk well okay so here's what i do i have like one of those um when put you buy a, when you buy when you buy a uh micro SD card that came with a little adapter to regular SD yeah. and it comes in that little clear plastic, plastic case that has both of those you can you can fit like 20 micro SD cards in that plastic shell how do you label those <laughs> I, I don't know here's what you do you just tape a furry tail yes. to the micro SD yes exactly and you'll always find it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Like when we have those little nano USB receivers for all the keyboards and stuff we have, I took gaff tape and taped it to the back of every receiver so that I would that's, stop yes. leaving them in the back of cases. That's that true. Was, and it worked today, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. See? But the, uh, put Sugru in there to be permanently solved. So, so the, the, the reader with a 16 gig card 
is like 20 bucks and then you can also change it to a 64 Ooh. gig so it comes with a 64 gig card 50 that's bucks. that's 50 bucks still less than a dollar a gig the cards are going like well these are claimed you know 90 meg per second mm. but um that's pretty cool yeah i mean that's that's really good speed now i will say this if you go writing a bunch of data to these things through that reader uh be careful because when you pull the reader out of your pc that metal part is hot <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah huh because, I mean, Sweet. 90 meg per second is passing through, like, just basically a USB connector only. Like, can, that's all. Can, Where's the can, heat going to go, you know? Yeah, I can... Oh, can damn it, now brand. we need a, a... Oh, sorry, Josh, for you can, first. Can you brand your uh, significant other's face with it? <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to try that. I'm really not. You'll okay. remember these pictures. It, it was... <laughs> <laughs> Got the little two squares from the opening of the USB, yeah. Uh, Thing on it. Oh, but now we need a, a BTU per MB conversion. Yeah, you got to have a new metric now. Uh, yeah. There's a new metric in that. Hmm. All right, uh, that's going to round up the show for us this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again. We record this live on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific at pcper.com slash live. Uh, you can find the schedule on the right-hand side of every page of pcper.com, or if you go to pcper.com slash subscribe, you can be put on our mailing list. And all we use it for, I promise, is mailing you when we are about to do live streaming events. Uh, thank you again to everybody who came out to our workshop at uh, QuakeCon. And if you couldn't come last year, this year, Please come next year. Uh, it'll yes. be about the same time in Dallas. Uh, I, I don't know when they're going to make the official announcement about it, but I think it'll be first week of August or something to that effect again. Uh, and it'll be the 20th anniversary of QuakeCon, so we imagine that I will be there, all things uh, going the way they've been going. And, again, thank you to all of our sponsors and, and, and all the companies that donated prizes and everything to hand out to you guys. It's a truly awesome event to be a part of. Right to see the excitement of people and the huge lineup outside to get into the event uh, definitely makes it worth it for us to drive all the way down there and spend all the time organizing it and spend three or four days of, of our time down there to, to get it all up and running. So uh, thanks again to everybody for that. Uh, we'll be back next week with another, with the 311th. Uh, we're going to play some special um, 311 music for you for the intro of that one so Ken Ken picked it out so we'll be good we'll be good thanks guys see you next week I'm Ryan Schrout I'm Jeremy Hellstrom I'm Josh Walrath and I'm Alan Malatone bye bye 50 square bye